0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome again to Front Range. We're so glad that you guys are with us this morning. My name is Johnny. I'm one of our pastors here. And if you're here for the first time, maybe you're checking us out online, thank you so much for spending your Sunday morning with us. We hope that this place will become a home for you where you can build community, discover your purpose, and grow in your faith in Jesus. And I just want to personally testify after that video from Pastor Ernest that Our family is so excited about where our church is going and building our permanent home. My wife and I moved here over 10 years ago to be a part of the launch team of this church, and we are now seeing God do so many things amazing things, abundantly more than we could ask or imagine. And we're just so humbled and honored to be a part of it. And uh, I just want to encourage you to really take it seriously as you take this card and pray about it. And as Pastor Ernest said, that faith number and that safe number man, if you want to see your faith in God grow, if you you want to see your relationship with God grow, step out in faith and, and go with the stretch of what he's calling you to do, and you will see your relationship and your faith grow. It's been uh, beneficial for us to just sort of wrestle with, God, are you sure you're calling us to this thing? We're going to have to sacrifice. We're going to have to do more. And to see him show up in amazing ways in our lives, it is so, so cool to be a part of this. So we're humbled, we're honored, and we can't wait to celebrate all that God is doing in our church with you guys. And join us next Sunday. Go take that card home, pray about it, and join us next Sunday, and let's commit together to be a part of what God's doing here. Now, today, we are starting a new series, and it's on one of my favorite books in the entire Bible. I know you can't really do that with books of the Bible. Like, it's kind of the Bible, right? But this is one of my favorite parts of the Bible. It's the book of James. It's the letter from the Apostle James. Now, I love this letter because it's kind of a how-to. It's very practical, and I want to encourage you to take some practical steps as we are uh, studying this letter. We've created what we call a series hub. It's on our website. It's under the messages tab, frontrange.org. There's something on there. There's just a button that says series hub. We've done that for every series that we've done this year, and there's resources. There's stuff to read, stuff to watch, stuff to listen to, to help you grow in your faith, to take a, a a next step from what we do here on Sunday mornings. You can also get there through the worship guide, the QR code that Pastor Mike mentioned. There's a button on there that says Series Hubs. But go to that all throughout this series and get those resources because this book is very practical, and we want to help you have some practical steps as we study this. Now, like I said, there's there's some how-tos and practicality to, to this, and it's because of the unique situation in which this letter was written. This is one of, if not the earliest letter we have that was written when the church was first beginning in the, the mid to late 40s. We're not really sure the date, but it is one of the earliest letters that we have. And the church has kicked off. Jesus has been resurrected. People are, are choosing to follow him. And as the church is growing, as the gospel is spreading, persecution has begun to come. And so people are beginning to spread out from city centers to avoid the persecution, but also to spread the gospel in a good way. And so James writes this letter of encouragement to this persecuted church. Now, James is the half-brother of Jesus. Can you imagine if your brother told you he was God? you be like i don't know about that but he actually pulled it off he rose from the dead so guess we got to believe him but james is living in jerusalem it's the center of the Christian faith at the time, and he becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And so as the leader of the church at the time, as Christians are spreading out and beginning to experience persecution, he writes this letter to support them, to help them, to uh, give them some pointers on what it looks like to follow Jesus. And there's really good advice for when we're going through suffering and hard times, but it's also just really good life advice for how to follow Jesus. You might call it good wisdom. Now, when we talk about that, that's kind of at the heart of this whole letter, of what it looks like to live with wisdom and follow Jesus. When I say that, who comes to mind when you think of a wise person? You might think of a mentor or a family member. I think of Obi-Wan Kenobi. I'm a nerd. He's just the first guy that comes to mind, right? He's a Jedi. He sacrifices himself for the greater good. He teaches Luke how to be a Jedi. He's awesome. I think of Gandalf. Again, I'm a nerd. I just think of the beard, maybe. Dude's got magic. He's been alive for thousands of years. He says awesome stuff. He does awesome stuff. I also think of Dumbledore. And if you're unfamiliar, this is not the same guy I just showed you. Very different people. Very different. And nerds will get very upset at you. Okay? Very different. But who comes to mind for you when you think of someone that has... Wisdom We think of people with knowledge and skill and some cleverness. They say wise things, they act in wise ways. I would argue that wisdom is never presented as a bad thing. I have never heard someone look at another person who has wisdom and be like, "Ugh i can't believe that guy's so wise i 've never heard of that. I think wisdom is something that we all desire. We see a wise person and go, yeah, I would like to live the way that guy or that girl is living because it seems like they figured out something about life. They've at least had some experience and they've learned a thing or two. I want to be like that. Here is the invitation from James here for us today. We need wisdom and we can get it. That's the floor here. That's, the, that's where we're starting from with the letter from James, that we all need wisdom and we can get it. So if you've got your Bible, open up to James chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We'll have the scripture on the screen. We'd also love to give you a Bible. If you just drop by the Blue Connections tent out in the courtyard, just say, hey, that guy said I could have a Bible, and we'll give you one, no questions asked. Right at the top of James chapter 1, let's get started here. He says, James, a servant of God, And of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. And then here he goes. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now you could tell right from the start, James has got some things to say. Right? Hey, I'm James, let's go. That's how this letter starts. And it's because of what he's writing, who he's writing to. People are suffering, they need help, they need to know that God is with them in the midst of the suffering that they're experiencing, and he wants to teach them something. So, hey, consider this an opportunity for joy, brothers and sisters, because you're gonna mature as long as you persevere, and you're gonna be made complete, not lacking anything. And I read that and go, I wanna be complete, and not lacking anything right? Like, I I want all that God has for me. I want to mature and grow and be a healthy follower of Jesus. Look where James takes it. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. I find this so fascinating, the way that James does this. He says, hey, you're gonna experience some suffering right now, but you can, you should consider it an opportunity for joy, because when you persevere, you'll mature, you'll be made complete, and you won't lack anything. But if you lack something, don't lack wisdom, is what he says here. This is like if your family's packing for a vacation, and you're like, kids, did you pack your bags? Yes, of course. Did you pack your toothbrush? I'll be right back. Right? This is, this is what it feels like for what James is doing here. Don't lack anything. Grow, mature, persevere. If you lack something, make sure you don't lack wisdom. Make sure that, hey, if you're just starting this thing out, the thing you want to look for is wisdom. You want to get wisdom. But what is the wisdom that he's talking about here? In the original language that he wrote this letter in Greek, he uses a word called Sophia. And it combines a lot of the different things that we think about with wisdom. It combines knowledge, understanding, intelligence, cleverness, and skill. Now, when you hear that, when, when I hear those descriptions, I think of the knowledge and the skill. I think of my grandfather and I think of my dad. My grandfather was a shop teacher and he used to build all kinds of stuff. Really good working with his hands. He used to build stuff when I was a kid growing up. Uh, my dad picked up on that. He started a business working on boats, making cushions and covers and all that kind of stuff. And me, I got none of it. I got none of that. I depend on YouTube and I heard measure twice, cut once, and I take that as a personal challenge to see how quickly I can get something done, and now you walk around my house, and if you step on the floor wrong, it moves, and the baseboard is just waiting to be nailed back in over there. I usually finish a house project mad, needing to apologize to my wife, and bleeding from a finger or a toe somehow, (laughs) like, but I think about that knowledge and that skill, and those are the guys that come to mind because they've had experience, and that's part of it. But what James is getting at is deeper than just knowledge or skill. Knowledge is having an understanding of facts and truth, and you can gain a lot of knowledge, but it doesn't automatically transfer to living a life with wisdom. Godly wisdom is applying the knowledge that we've gained and living it out. Here's how I would define it. Wisdom is applying biblical truth to life's circumstances. Wisdom is applying biblical truth to life's circumstances. I think we confuse knowledge and wisdom sometimes. We think that if I just gain more information, if I just fill my head up with, with knowledge and information, then somehow it'll translate to me living my life differently, and that's not always the case. Step one is gaining knowledge, yes, but it really matters what we do with that knowledge and how we apply it. Wisdom requires application. And in our context, in living a godly life, it requires obedience to what God is calling us to do. How many of us, you don't have to raise your hand on this, but how many of us can think of a person who knows a lot about the Bible, they know a lot about God, and yet they don't really act like it sometimes, or they don't look or sound like Jesus very much, and yet they can tell you a lot about him. That's the difference between having knowledge and living with wisdom. James actually, if we'll jump ahead into chapter 3, James actually defines what it looks like to live with godly wisdom. And I want to encourage you to read the letter several times uh, over the next couple of weeks. But in particular, you can read this whole section and see he compares earthly wisdom with godly wisdom. In verse 17, here's what he says, "...the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times." And willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. Now I read that verse and go, oh man, because it forces me to compare how I live my life with what James describes as godly wisdom here. As I'm going about my day, am I making pure choices based on God's word? Am I choosing peace? over conflict? Do I respond with gentleness, and am I willing to yield to others? Do I show mercy and sincerity? What about you? What, what do you feel when you read a verse like that? What comes to mind as you are looking at the way you live your life and what James is calling us to do here? Now, one thing we can do is we can read that and beat ourselves up. And feel shame about it. But that's not the point of what James wants to do. He doesn't show us what wisdom looks like for us to go, oh, I can't live up to that. No, he's showing us that we can live a life of wisdom, that it is possible for us. Because remember, he tells us we can ask God. So, how do we grow in our wisdom? What can we do to grow in our wisdom? The first thing is we have to pursue it. We have to pursue wisdom. He's super clear right at the top of the letter. If you lack wisdom, ask for it. Ask the source of wisdom, and he will give it to you because, as James says, he gives generously to all without finding fault. This kind of an idea, this challenges what we believe about God, who God is, how he treats us, how he responds to us as his people. It forces us to think of him in, I think, a different way than many of us have grown up thinking of him. I grew up thinking that God was mad at me, and he was always watching and waiting for me to mess up so he could punish me. Many of us have probably had that idea. I don't think of him as a generous, loving God who is ready to pour out wisdom and help. That's a struggle that I still have to this day because of the way that I was raised to think about God. And yet, that's not who he is. He loves us so much that he sent Jesus to die for us. He wants to help us in our lives to follow him. When we give our lives to Christ, he fills us with his spirit so that we can then have this relationship where he empowers us to live and make choices to follow him. He is ready to pour out his wisdom, to answer our call when we ask him, say, God, I need your help. He's ready to answer that. Jesus says this himself in Matthew chapter seven. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? That would be mean, right? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? That would be really mean. <laughs> if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your Father in Heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? Jesus is trying to make us think differently about God as our Father who loves us. My son is three, and he's got a lot of big emotions Shoved inside of his little body, he has no idea what to do with all these big emotions, and he gets very frustrated very easily, um, especially playing with his toys. He, it's usually because he can't get the sword to stay in the Ninja Turtle's hand, which I get. That's frustrating, right? They don't make they don't make the toys very well. And so the other day, I heard him from the other room, just goes, <laughs> "Ah, <it's> hulking out." But <laughs> what happens though is I get annoyed. Right, I hear that and I'm like, dude, can you please just figure it out? Please. Because I'm evil, as Jesus says. (laughs) Because I'm imperfect. That is not how God looks at us. Please hear me. Many of us think that when we are in need, when we're weak, when we're tired, when we're sad, when we're frustrated, that God looks at us like, can't you figure this out? And that is a lie. God looks at at us in our frustration and in our need and says, please let me help. Please, I died for you. I want to be connected. I want to be a part of your daily life. I want to help you. Please let me help. God loves you so much and is ready to answer your call for help, ready to say, if you're asking for wisdom, I'll be there for you. And then we get invited into this opportunity to learn and gain wisdom through practices and things like reading scripture and spending time in prayer. We get this opportunity to learn and grow each and every day for God to meet that need, to answer our prayer and help us grow in our wisdom. Many of us, myself included, we've, we've had this idea of reading scripture and prayer and other practices and things like that, as if it's been this sort of like burden or weight that's placed on us. Once we come to know Christ, we enter into the church, and it's like, here's all the things you got to do, and that's not it at all. It's not about a checklist. It's not about earning anything. It's not about God going up there, well, uh, you didn't do that, so I don't know if I can actually answer that. That's not it at all. We are invited into an opportunity, an invitation, not a burden, We get to spend time in the presence of our Heavenly Father who died for us because He loves us. We get to spend time in prayer with Him. We get to read His Word and pick up on the wisdom from generations, thousands of years of wisdom passed down to us. We get to spend time in the Psalms, a book of prayer, when we... When we need to express our deepest emotions, what's going on inside of us, when we don't know the words to pray, we have a book of prayers to help us cry out to God and express our deepest needs. We are invited into an opportunity to practice these daily rhythms, to learn and to grow. That's how God will often answer our prayer, to meet our need for wisdom. It's an invitation. It's not a burden. And on the other side of that invitation is a promise. James says right up here, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask, and God will give it to you. So the first way that we grow in our wisdom is we have to pursue it. We have to ask for it. We have to build some rhythms into our lives to learn and to grow. And then the next way is we have to live it out. We have to live it out. When we pursue wisdom, we see it actually bear fruit when we apply what we've learned and we live it out. This is what James is getting at in verse 6 when he says, When you ask, when you ask for that wisdom, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Now, let me clarify something here. When James talks about belief and doubt, he's not addressing the foundational belief in God. That's not what he has in mind here. Remember the context of the letter. He's writing to Christians. These people believe in God. They've put their faith in Jesus. They believe that, he is, that he's been raised from the dead. So if James is not addressing belief in God, what is he addressing? He's making a distinction between the ways that we live out our belief in God. He is saying it is possible for you to trust Jesus and yet live as if you don't, to doubt what he's told us. In the New Testament, there is a very close connection between faith in God and faithfulness to God. They are right up next to one another. In fact, I want to challenge you, like I said earlier, to read this letter with us. Find the the reading plan on our series hub. Read this letter several times over the next few weeks. You'll see this concept illustrated over and over again, particularly in James chapter 2, where he says that faith without works is dead. He's trying to get us to see that we have to do something with faith in Christ. Otherwise, it might not be faith at all. In the early church, it was inconceivable that you would place your trust in Jesus and believe that he's the Lord of, Lord, Lord of lords and the King of kings and yet not actually live as if that's true. It would not make any sense to these people. It'd be like you go into the doctor and him saying, hey, you're in the midst of heart failure. You got a problem. You need to change the way that you're eating, change the way that you're living. And you go, okay, cool, and do nothing about it. That would make no sense. And yet we do that often, don't we? James is warning us Don't live as if you don't believe in God. Don't have this doubt affecting the way that you're receiving from him. When we learn something from scripture, when someone shares and says, hey, I feel like God might be trying to push us in this direction. Don't hear that and go, oh, that sounds nice. And then just go on about your business. Because James references being double-minded here. Another translation for that is to, to have divided loyalties. Meaning our loyalty can be split up between God, the world, other people who don't have your best interests at mind like God does. It is possible for us to have the world pressing in all around us and us go, yeah, I hear that God's saying to do this in my marriage or with my finances or with my kids, and yet I'm just going to go this other direction. That is when we live as if God doesn't exist at all. We have to take steps to make our faith real, to live out our wisdom. We believe with more than our head and our heart, we believe with our hands and our feet. Let me give you an example of how this works. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of us would probably say like, hey, I deal with some some exhaustion, some anxiety, a lack of peace. I just feel like I'm going and going and going all the time, and I'm just always like frustrated and running too hard. I know that I would say I'm there sometimes. So we have a choice. The way that we're living, if it's not getting us the results that we're hoping for, we have a choice on what to do about that. Now, you can open up your Bible app, and you can search for peace, anxiety, whatever the topic is, and you can find scripture for that. Maybe you find some relief in the moment you get a, a scripture that you see, and you go, oh, thank you, God, that's good. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's awesome. You've engaged with biblical knowledge. Where it becomes real is when we apply that knowledge to our life, and we live it out as wisdom. We are followers of Jesus. We are called to live in the way that he lived, what we see in scripture. And so then when we apply the way that Jesus lived his life to how we live our lives, that's when it becomes real for us. And so in the midst of of exhaustion and anxiety and a lack of peace, we can go and look at the way that Jesus lived his life. His rhythm, the way that he engaged in prayer, in particular, I think is, is really relevant here. Jesus would engage with the crowds. He would teach. He would perform miracles. And then we see several times in the Gospels, he would retreat to what, what, what scripture says is the wilderness or a solitary place. It's the same, same word in there. In Matthew chapter 14, that's just one example. Beginning of the chapter, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, he's executed, and his disciples come and tell Jesus what happens. Jesus' immediate response is to retreat to a solitary place. He's mourning. That makes sense. The crowd hears about where he's going, though, and they follow him. And Jesus, in all of his compassion and kindness, serves the crowd. This is where he performs a miracle of feeding the 5,000. He loves them so much that he does this for them in his exhaustion, in his grief. Immediately after this miracle, we see Jesus sends the crowd away and he sends his disciples ahead of him and he goes to a solitary place to pray. He has this rhythm of work and retreat. Jesus knew in his exhaustion, in his mourning, he knew on a daily basis he needed to be alone with God. And so we read that And then we have a choice. Okay, if Jesus needed to be alone with God, I probably need to be alone with God. And so for me, every day, every single day, I try to carve out some time before everyone else in the house gets up. I set the alarm a little bit earlier than I would like, but I try to get up and spend time in silence, in reflection, coffee first. Gotta make sure coffee's first. And then just spending that time in God's presence reading scripture, praying through psalms, praying for what's going on in my heart, praying for the needs of many of you in our church and other people that I know. Because again, I can just live my life and be frustrated when I'm anxious or when I'm lacking peace, or I can look at the wisdom that God offers, the way of life that Jesus represented and go, huh, maybe as a follower of Jesus, I should follow him in the way that he lived his life. That's just one example. We all need wisdom in every area of our lives. As I said earlier, maybe in your finances, maybe in your marriage, maybe with your kids, your job. There are so many places where we're making choices and decisions, and we have that opportunity to choose the way that God offers for us or the way of the world. And he is ready and waiting to say, I have better things for you. I wanna help you make choices that lead to life and abundance and blessing. I wanna be there for you. We have this opportunity to come to him and ask for his help. But many of us, the starting place, before we get to any of that, the starting place is you need to choose to give your life to Jesus. The best, most important decision you could ever make is to say yes to Jesus, to say, I need help. I've tried to do this on my own. I want to trust in God. I want to give my life over to him and ask for him to save me. That's why he died on the cross, to pay the price for your sins, to restore a relationship with our heavenly father. And then he fills us with his spirit to live a life for him. That is the first step for some of us. And then for others of us, if you've been following Jesus for a while, I think a step for us today is just reflect on that verse in James chapter 3, verse 17. Maybe you want to memorize that this week. Maybe you want to read it every day and try to memorize it. It gets hard. Maybe you just want to reflect on that and start using that as a filter for your decision-making. Am I making a pure choice based on God's word? Am I making a choice where I'm willing to yield to others? Am I choosing gentleness, peace over conflict? Maybe you want to reflect on that every day this week and just start looking at the way that you're living your life and comparing it to what James says is the godly, wise way to live. We all need wisdom. The good news for all of us is that we can have it. All we have to do is ask. Pursue it. Live it out. Where do you need wisdom in your life today? Have that in mind, and then let's go to God right now and ask him for it. Father, we come before you, and we know our needs. Many of us are thinking of a situation right now, God, where we don't know what to do. We need your help. We need you to speak. God, challenge us to pursue the wisdom that you have for us. God, we are asking in faith, knowing the scripture tells us that you give generously to all who have need. So God, we're asking. But Lord, I know that for many of us, there are things that you've told us to do, wise ways of living that you have told us to do, and we just haven't been willing yet. Challenge us right now, God, in our hearts and in our minds. Remind us of those things that you've called us to do. Remind us of what scripture says. Remind us of what our godly friends have told us. And then empower us by your spirit to live in that way, to do what you've called us to do, to walk in obedience to you. And for those who are in the room who your first step is to choose to follow Jesus, to give your life to him, I wanna give you that opportunity. Maybe you walked in the doors for the first time in a while. Maybe it's the first time ever and you're checking this out but you've been looking for peace. You've been looking for hope. You've been looking for love. And what the world's offered just hasn't met that need. Jesus is what you're looking for. Jesus is the answer. He has everything you need. He died for you because he loves you. And as everybody's heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if that's you this morning, if you want to give your life to Christ, I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to embarrass you at all. I just want to pray for you you want to give your life to him for the first time, or maybe you made that commitment years ago when you're coming back home, if that's you, I just want you to slip your hand up so I can pray for you this morning. Amen. God, we thank you for these folks who are making this decision, this commitment to follow you. Lord, we confess, and you can pray this in your own heart with me right now as your confession of faith. We confess that we We want to put our faith in you. Jesus died on the cross for us. He paid the price for our sins. We believe that to be true. We ask for you to rescue us. Cleanse our hearts, God. Wipe away our sins by the blood of Jesus. We want to choose to follow you. We give you our lives, and we're going to take steps from here on out to do that. Fill us with your spirit. Help us walk in wise ways, God. We thank you pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.